You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Hello and welcome to LTN Book Club. Tonight we are talking about Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Content warnings for the book, some of which we will discuss this evening. Violence, language, torture, rape, slavery, classism, and suicide. The back of the book blurb uh, tells us a little bit about what this book is about. Darrow is a red, a member of the lowest caste in the color-coded society of the future. Like his fellow reds, he works all day, believing that he and his people are making the surface of Mars livable for future generations. Yet, he toils willingly, trusting that his blood and sweat will one day result in a better world for his children. But Darrow and his kind have been betrayed. Soon he discovers that humanity reached the surface generations ago. Vast cities and lush wilds spread across the planet. Darrow, and Reds like him, are nothing more than slaves to a decadent ruling class. Inspired by a longing for justice and driven by the memory of lost love, Darrow sacrifices everything to infiltrate the legendary Institute, a proving ground for the dominant gold caste, where the next generation of humanity's overlords struggle for power. He will be forced to compete for his life and the very future of civilization against the best and most brutal of society's ruling class. There, he will stop at nothing to bring down his enemies, even if it means he has to become one of them to do so. This was published in July of 2014. It was a New York Times bestseller and is named one of the best books of that year by Entertainment Weekly, BuzzFeed, and Shelf Awareness. I am joined today uh, by two lovely people. Who are you? I'm Katie Tejador. And I'm Bernadette Wonder. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we are reading this book because it was one of our community nominees. Um, this uh, was talked about in an article that we did for a 2020 summer reading list uh, that we published on the website. And Jake Korn uh, nominated this one. He said, uh, in a time when our own society seems like a powder keg about to explode, it can be cathartic to watch in the safe space of fantasy the implications of exposing the corrupt underbelly of an opulent and complacent society. Even when the good guys win and take control of the government, it isn't as easy to form an ideal society as it seemed when they were plucky revolutionaries. The series is a stunning mix of Hunger Games, or Battle Royale, if you're really in the know, and Ender's Game, with a violent, broody dash of Spartacus. Occasional profanity and repeated bouts of violent descriptions of war may make the series more of a PG-13 offering, but the first book especially has a very young adult dystopian feel. Now is the time to jump in, with five books available and the conclusion soon on its way. So Jake wrote that in summer of 2020, and I think that that's still a good way to describe the current uh, world situation. I feel like since then, we've just mostly got the volume turned up even more <laughs> on life. Uh, so thank you, Jake, for this nomination. Uh, now we'll be heading into the spoiler zone. Uh, so if you are going to continue with us on this podcast, uh, we will be spoiling the rest of the book. You are warned.
uh, one of the interesting, there's several interesting things about the book, but one of the interesting things and where the title comes from is uh, the caste system in this story is based on colors. Reds are on the bottom, so red rising, uh, as they are uh, with Darrow um, making their way up. And then the golds um, are on the top with various different colors that have different societal roles um, in between. Um, this is definitely not the first time we've seen this in dystopian uh, novels, um, but if you all wouldn't mind, kind of tell me about some of your thoughts and comparisons between this and some other uh, dystopian um, caste systems that we've seen in other uh, stories. Um, well, so Mistborn was another one we did on the podcast a while back, and uh, it has that kind of feel with um, kind of the lower lower cast yeah. and the all of that and also just the mm -hmm. fact that, uh i forget Kel so it's kelsier's brother who uh goes and becomes marsh, a, marsh mm -hmm. becomes an inqui mm -hmm. inquisitor and when darrow becomes a gold that just real like i was like oh <laughs> this feels like mm -hmm. that <laughs> so that that kind of it felt a lot like that as far as cast systems go yeah. and then just the treatment of um, the lower cast versus some of the ones that are kind of more in the middle had Mistborn was kind of a, one I, I, I kind of thought of when I was reading those. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely thought of the first one I thought of was Brave New World, um, with their like alpha through epsilon, their, uh, ranking of different people and then what you could do in society, depending on which um, letter you were and then usually what your job was and even like how good your brain power was because like whether or not you got this the shot of vitamins when you were a test tube baby or <laughs> something like that and um of course i immediately thought about you know hunger games which was already mentioned uh, particularly at the beginning where you had the different groups of Reds that were competing with each other for the opportunity to have food and other benefits. Although in this mm -hmm. case, it was uh, particularly rigged um, so that even if you won, you still lost, um, as opposed to, you know, it being rigged by having um, groups that particularly trained for um, the Hugger games. This one was, you know, even. I said it was, you know, to the point of, you know, even if you did win, it didn't matter. Um, so, yep. I mean, that was taken care of early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, Darrow meets up with, kind of accidentally, meets up with the uh, rebel group, the Sons of Ares. Um, they are trying to overthrow the current caste system um, and kind of going about it in a, I mean, it's exciting for Darrow. Absolutely. Uh, but it, it seems interesting the way they they've currently chosen to do this. Uh, Darrow gets brought on and is in fact turned into a gold uh, physically um, to enter into this uh, Institute um basically this is where i started getting harry potter vibes you you go to magic school <laughs> except not magic school you go to 
war school, kind of. It's not even really magic school. It's or it's not even really war school. It it's is like more the Hunger like, Games school. Like they throw yeah, you in a giant or, arena. <laughs> and it's Hunger Games school, Lord of the Flies, just yeah. yeah. Capture the flag, but more so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're technically not supposed to die, but some of them, you know, die anyway. So, oh, well, like <laughs> there was a lot of you get a lot of other vibes from from it. Like you get a lot of mix mix of things, like not even just with the cast system, but with just how things play out. Um, I mean, one of the other major vibes I got late, like kind of later in the book was Ender's game. Just, um, just the way Darrow takes kind of has his paradigm shifts and his strategies. And honestly, the biggest one was Severo and the, Mm -hmm. and he just automatically made me think of Bean. Um, if anybody (laughs) has read Ender's game, like I was just like, it's another Bean. And it really, it really is. Um, so that like, I can't, I can't say they did it as well as Ender's Game. Um, there were still some things that I was just kind of. I think what I liked more about Ender's Game versus Red Rising was the fact that um, Ender relied way more on his team, like. Yes, mm-hmm. you have some of that in Red Rising. Like he does have Darrow does have his, his lieutenants and he does toss them out. But you definitely feel like there's much more of a gap. Whereas with Ender, yes, he was the top, but there's no way he could have done it without his team. Like he like it was de- like there was less of a gap and it was more cohesive it felt whereas Darrow definitely is put on this pedestal mm-hmm. that everybody kind of falls under so yeah. I, I was kind of like oh okay well, not, not as much of an ensemble yeah and that mm-hmm. that was a little disappointing like i i felt like they could have done a little bit more with that i mean they they did do a good job with the characters and setting up kind of a support system but at the same time it's like you could have gone a little farther with that However, at the same time, I can kind of see the difference between the two ones being that in Ender's game, they're not the enemy. Like they're 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 all there to on the same boat as Ender. Whereas Darrow still tech like they're still technically his enemies. They're still he's still Mm -hmm. in there to eventually like overthrow them and take over their system. So you do have to kind of keep him apart because you can't get him too attached for the overthrow that's coming kind of thing, or it just creates a lot of problems. So, yeah, he does. He goes back and forth several times yeah. about his, like, I, I, I could be friends with this person. Like, I feel like they're my brother and yet they're my enemy. Um, and he kind of, he doesn't dwell on it a ton, but periodically, usually like right before dramatic stuff, when he's thinking about who he has on his side, um, he is kind of trying to get his head right for the, for the long game a little bit. Like, you know, if, if I am actually going to overthrow all of this, you know, I'm, I would have to 
be willing to kill all of these people. So Well, and what's even more interesting is they throw another red turned gold in there at the very beginning and kind mm -hmm. of show what he could turn into if he goes down a certain path. Because Titus just... Titus was a piece of work. Mm -hmm. But I... But understandably was, so, like, yeah, absolutely. and Titus was, Titus was doing it, like, yeah. He, he honestly, this is probably more what uh, Sons of Aries had in mind was Titus oh, rather yeah. than Darrow. I mean, they're probably going to be happier with Darrow's outcomes, but Titus is probably more it, uh, which is like at the start, I was like, wow, this this guy just like. This guy is hungry, right? He just really wants to win this game. Uh, but then, like, the further, the further, the more you watched him, it seemed like he, he really did enjoy hurting people. Yep. And when you find out, oh, you're actually another red turned gold, then, okay, that makes more sense. Because he, he'd never had that. He never, like, saw them as people like Darrow did, kind of thing. He, he, al he mm -hmm. always was about the just let's destroy it which down. is definitely interesting because like you also by having both of them in there you also get kind of a peek um at the ma kind of mastermind which i'm sure we'll f like if we continue reading the other two books we'll definitely get probably learn more about aries's plan and stuff but you kind of get the feeling that um they choose two different types to see which one works better in the situation, you know? Like, Darrow mm -hmm. for the... Because he can think outside the box. And he he may be rash, but he definitely has a more calculating side. Or, like, so maybe he will work. But if not, we have this just absolute cannon that can tear <laughs> through everything. Yeah. Um, yep. And so just throw them both in there and see which one comes out better mm -hmm. it also made me question like okay well they tell darrow at the beginning like everybody that's gone in before you we've sent all of these people like so many i don't remember what the number was but it was a stupid high number yeah. 99, so many people in before you yeah <laughs> 99 i think is what it was um and they've all failed uh and so it made me wonder like okay well if titus is another red turn gold who else in this year yeah I was thinking that's red turn yeah. gold. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's the uh, thing is like, okay, so maybe it wasn't uh dancer's team that turned Titus because they didn't seem to mm -hmm. they didn't seem to know. So how many other teams are there that have tried to turn reds into golds and how many have actually succeeded? Like all these families he got mm -hmm. away with having a false family how many others have and people are just like oh okay i wondered for a yeah. little while about Severo because he was just such an oddball and then it was like oh fetchner's son okay that makes <laughs> yeah well at the, so he does help darrow right like he scrambles some audio because darrow slips up and says like the curse word that only the reds would say that the golds would never say yeah. uh when he's fighting a proctor, so and Darrow scrambles the audio. Yeah, or not Darrow. Uh, um, Severo. Severo scrambles the audio. Yeah, thank you. So I was like, okay, well, 
either you want dirt for later, which totally seems like a Severo thing. Um, or like maybe you do kind of have a dog in this game too. Well, so. and I mean, uh, that also kind of hints at like Feshner. He, Feshner right? kind of hints that there's like, he, he tells Darrow, you know, your friends on the outside haven't forgotten you. And Darrow has this moment of like, how much do you know? And you don't, what does that mean? Yeah. And you don't, and like, was it just someone who likes me? Who's, you know, thinks it's comforting that I have my neck, my necklace or my pendant and my ring, or are you talking about the sons of Aries kind of moment? And, and like you, as the audience, you're kind of wondering the same thing, kind of like, are you, are you in this as well? Like, Maybe not necessarily a red turned gold, but maybe a gold who doesn't like how things are done. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Mustang also seems to be like she's she definitely seems like one who doesn't necessarily like. Or care for how things are done. Even though oh. she's the arch governor's daughter, like she's. Her way of thinking is different from a lot of the others. And I mean, she she hums Eo's song. She has to know that she shouldn't be doing that. Like, mm-hmm. so you kind of get this feeling of like, there's probably a lot of golds that are not entirely happy with how things are either. Well, I mean, several knows that he was meant to be a sacrifice. Yeah, because you know he was put in with the arch. You know. Um, <laughs> Priam. With us, with us, yeah, with Sun. So, um, not with our six, it's with um, the, the Mars. No, he was the, the, yeah, the top top boy in the class. Yeah. Uh, Priam. He was a shoe in. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he knows that he was supposed to die. He was, you know, intentionally set up to die. Um, and that's the only reason they even, po- you know, chose him for the program was so that he could be sacrificed. So, of course, he's not going to be really fond of, you know, the leadership. Well, and what's interesting is Fetcher knew it as well. Mm Because he flat out said that he knew that his son was going to, like, he knew, he knew what his fate was. So, Mm -hmm. that I mean, that would make sense as to why Fetcher is not happy about it either. Like, he (laughs) couldn't get higher than his current position. And his son was slated to die. Like, (laughs) who wouldn't be unhappy? We were talking before uh, we started recording, and uh, Bernie, you had um, an interesting story and a cool take, if you don't mind sharing, about... Um, the gold's pop um, principle of culling like they do uh, the passage basically whenever people enter the institute okay um and this actually comes from um my um, experience um with uh both my dad who is um teaching military leadership uh for for his entire career and um my son who is uh u.s navy and um, my son talks about how in class during boot camp, a um, question was given, said um, an exercise, and uh, the master chief asked the class, he said, 
if there's an emergency situation and you have to choose between an $18 million airplane and a Navy pilot, who do you choose? And one of the recruits, students in the class said, the airplane. And that student was told, go to the barracks, get your bags, you're out. And, you know, they could, you know, thought I was, you know, joking, but no, he said, I'm not. Mm you are out of the Navy. You said your values are not, you know, in line um, with the U.S. Navy. And um, you saw the class and said, you know, I mean, on one hand, you know, the U.S. Navy has invested, you know, at least $18 million into a U.S. Navy pilot, but said, that's not the reason for the answer. Said you replace that Navy pilot with any member of the U.S. Navy the answer is going to be the same. You, you know, replace the, you know, U.S. Navy personnel with any U.S. civilian. The answer is still the same. You put people above property, above anything every time. Personnel, the people come first. And mm-hmm. anyone who does not share that value is not worthy of being a member of the U.S. military. Because you need to know that the person who is standing right next to you is going to put your life above any equipment and above them as well. And obviously, Mm -hmm. the the golds, they do not see that. They do not understand that. And that's ultimately why they are going to fail, um, at least as far as, you know, our, our U.S. military sees it. And that's also, I mean, that's the values I learned from my dad. That's values I learned from my granddad, who's three-star general. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's why the goals are ultimately going to lose, because they do not understand that the people are your greatest asset. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, like, we talked about, like, Priam was, like, Ed an exquisite physical specimen, at least by Darrow's assessment, uh, supposed to be really smart, came from uh, an extremely good background, had a lot of experience, we would assume, from his um, well-connected family coming up. And because the passage says, basically, we put 100 kids in here in pairs and only 50 of them are going to come out alive. Um, not only Priam was lost, but then uh, every all the other uh, lights that are snuffed out in that process um and the golds i think are weaker for it because they they call this like population control but in fact what it's doing is saying we only want the minds and the decisions that are okay choosing this uh, over over anything else so this is supposedly well, their top one percent that they're sacrificing mm-hmm I mean, it's, it's the difference of values too. like, um, because technically, I mean, in their head, and this is like the difference between a society that has equality on the mind and one that is entrenched in classism, like, and mm-hmm. when they're, when literally everything is different with how they approach the world and people like it, it the way they think makes sense when you're thinking as far as 
they want the best to come out and only the best to become this peerless scarred. Like when you think you're so elite that that's, and, and they do, they think that they're untouchable. Um, so they could never have seen that Severo was going to win. Like it was not in their calculations that Priam would die would have lost um so really they weren't in their minds they weren't going to lose talent because the ones that they sent to die were the lowest and therefore if they're the lowest then they're not worth they can't further society like they can't further the society they can't further the golds because they fail to reach a certain standard but again that's the problem with the way they think is they there's always an outlier, always someone mm-hmm. who's going to buck the system like Severo did. And mm-hmm. you can't always predict people like that, no matter how much you can control, which is why, I mean, there is the sons of Aries. Like if everything was going according to how the golds wanted it, there would never be any kind of dissension in the reds there would never be anything that could threaten their power or like touch them which is also mm-hmm. why it came as such a surprise and and what and that's what's interesting about like when uh Dara starts his assault on olympus like they never even imagined that but he can imagine that because he he's literally doing it anyway. He went from being red to gold. That's literally assailing Olympus. So of mm-hmm. course he's going to be like, "Oh yeah, I can do that. I can do. I can take on the Proctors. I can assail Olympus. This is this isn't anything harder than what I'm already doing." And that's mm-hmm. and that's their problem is they don't. When you get to the they point don't. that you think you're so much better than literally everyone else that you forget to kind of pay attention that's where you start to fail like their way makes sense for the way they view the world like it makes sense to call the weakest but again it doesn't make sense because like we see the folly of their ways because we know that like underdogs can win but they never have that experience they're so far removed from their revolution that they forget that they weren't the rulers in the first place. And that's kind of the, it's kind of the trick of power is like, once you get so entrenched in power, you kind of forget that you weren't always there. And I Mm -hmm. think that's, that's kind of the point of red rising to a certain extent is like, you gotta be careful Like, of course, it's all the classism and all that, but it's also you got to be careful not to let all the power go to your head. Like, you always have... And that's part of, like... Because Darrow gets sucked up into it for a little while. He starts thinking like them. Like, taking slaves and ruling with fear and all of that. And it comes crashing down on him and he almost dies. Mm -hmm. And it's only when he starts pulling the people... Like, he starts... He starts by pulling the people up from the bottom because he has all the low dredges, including mm-hmm. Severo. And he's doing really well. 
it's as soon as he gets that power and forgets and starts acting like an actual gold that he crumbles and loses it and has his meteoric decline. But then he regains that kind of, oh, we'll take the lowest and build them up. And then that's why he can accomplish. Mm -hmm. But golds, like golds don't think that way. Would never think that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The society with, even within just within the golds, uh, is definitely Machiavellian, definitely oh, might yeah. makes right. Um, and that's just like so much more magnified within the the game, quote unquote, mm-hmm. of the Institute. Um, and Darrow, I think, does take this lesson to heart because even when he changes and decides, OK, well, I'm not going to like we're not going to execute people anymore. Um, we're not going to because that backfired and like I we're not going to take slaves or like we're going to free slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, he decides, you know, the, the problem isn't that I can't win this game. The problem is that this game is broken. Yeah. So that's why he decides, you know, I'm not going to win the game. I'm going to beat the game. I'm going to go after the people in charge. Um, and that, that was probably my favorite moment when, when I was like, Oh yes. yeah, <laughs> you're going exactly. to yeah, just wreck house. Do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think Dara only mentions this once, but, um, I mean, what's happening is also completely um, incompatible with the ages of the participants. I mean, I had to keep reminding myself of what the ages of, you know, the children involved yeah. um, in the story were. And I mean, they really are. They are kids. And you're reading this and you're thinking, okay, 17, 18, 19, but no, they're like 13, 14, I think, you know, I mean, these, I mean, they're much younger than their, you know, experiences, you know, would be, you know, would seem like, um, I mean, not that these experiences are really appropriate at any age, but you're reading this and you have to keep, I mean, at least I did. I had to keep reminding myself, you know, how young um, they really were. And, you know, and just looking at these perspectives in terms of, you know, child warriors, I mean, it's incredibly, Mm -hmm. incredibly traumatizing. Um, particularly mm-hmm. at those those ages, and um, and particularly long damage or such, you know, immature, um, immature, you know, brains. So I mean, well, and what's interesting another- is like, is like it's nothing new for Darrow. Like mm-hmm. unlike with the golds, it, he he's used to the people dying young. That's why he got married at 16. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, uh, I think it was his dad died at 25 and like mm-hmm. they're old if they're past 30. Like, mm-hmm. so he's used to. All... I knew I was old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His, his, you know, his wife, you know, would have normally gotten married at 14, but she held on until 16 to be with him, you know, which yeah. Yeah. was unusual. So, 
basically girls get married mm-hmm. as soon as they can have babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, yeah. if you think about their short lifespans, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why people in the olden days got married so early. Like the shir- mm-hmm. shorter your life, like we mm-hmm. are incredible. Like the fact that we get married at 20 or older now is, is mm-hmm. crazy. But if you think about it, when you think about it in terms of like back then versus now like we can we can get married at 20 or 25 or 30 or later because Mm -hmm. our lives are so much longer like we live till Mm -hmm. 70 80 a lot of the time whereas i mean even just 100 years ago like that was not the norm like you were lucky if you got to 60 like so marrying as a teenager made sense because mm-hmm. you had to have time yeah. to have kids and live life. So it it's just interesting that it kind of, even the d- difference of the classes kind of, it almost showed different time periods of civ- civilization in a way. Like the Reds definitely are living kind of more in settler times where like feudal times yeah, almost. yeah exactly where you have to do everything young because you don't expect to live that long whereas the golds can afford to waste years and be decadent and all of that because they they're expected to have longer lives so it's it's interesting and and, and that also i think shows up like dara's already already has that kind of mindset of like he already is so used to young deaths that I don't think it phases him quite as much as like some of the others. Like he's, which I'm not saying that it's good at all. Like (laughs) it's still traumatizing Mm -hmm. and living like that is still awful. But like, I think that's one of the reasons why he's a lot more resilient throughout it is because it's not like it's anything different for him. Whereas these other, like all the other ones are having very, very harsh wake-ups kind of thing and he says even when like they get like quote-unquote kidnapped and taken off to the passage uh he says that the like i don't remember are they obsidians or <laughs> yeah they obsidian. okay uh but they like he's like oh they they beat us up and i just like faked like the one kick in my ribs hurt uh and pretended to have a lump but he's like this is way more than any other any of these other kids are gonna have yep. ever lived with and i've been beat up more times than I can count so I don't want to seem like that I can take it to these obsidians who can definitely kill me yeah well and and that like he he does that a few times with some uh, with different situations kind of where he goes oh this is this is something I've done well like with the lashes um Mm -hmm. acting all high and mighty and like 25 lashes and then even switching it out but it's like he's like I've had worse and I mean even at the beginning of the book he had like 40 yeah I don't know if it was an obsidian or gray that did it but still someone who was obviously way more brutal than Pax was like Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like he could he could make those stands because he was used to it whereas they were all impressed because they weren't so it, it is interesting, just the difference in upbringing as well, and how much, how much perspective changes with where the two different groups grew up, and how 
how they dealt with the hardships that kind of they were thrown into. So there, I did have, uh, I guess the main issue I would have with this book is, uh, violence against women is unfortunately used as a plot de- device yeah, repeatedly. A lot. Um, which is which is disappointing um, because I feel like there's a lot of good in this book as well. Um, we start out right off the bat. Uh, I was really excited when we met Eo, yeah. uh, Darrow's wife, on Mars because I was like, I know something about her besides that she's your wife and what she looks like. She's super passionate, uh, like politically. And then, like the immediate thought following that was like, they're going to kill her, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, they. Yes, uh, Eo is definitely martyr sacrifice to motivate Darrow to go do hero things. Um, yeah. Uh, if you're not familiar with the term fridging, um, and Google it, uh, it comes from, um, graphic novel where a hero's love is put in a fridge to motivate him to go do hero things. Um, Gail Simone yeah. as, uh, as the first person who, um, came up with the term, um, and popularized mm-hmm. it. Um, she's an amazing writer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and uh, later on, um, Cassius decides to go do stupid things because the girl that he loved has been kidnapped. And then uh, even when Darrow finally decides to attack Olympus, it's because Virginia or Mustang has been held prisoner there and the the uh, proctor who went and kidnapped her was like i'm gonna ruin her and daryl's like over my dead body <laughs> then decides to go and attack olympus yep uh yeah so it's frustrating um that this that these are repeatedly the uh, motivating factors it seems like to get daryl and other people in the book to do things um and even like the the punishment that Daryl ends up meeting to the the guy who attempted to rape one of his classmates yeah is was turned as like a rallying point yeah to like unify all of the people which like I get kind of but at the same time it felt really icky yeah um, it, like yeah. I, I mean it was the those lashes thing and like I made the comment about it him being able to take it but that was definitely taking that specific like moment like like as a item the whole thing about her not even wanting him punished like i was just like I could like I could kind of understand that because she she says like what what would you even do how would you make this right yeah and and I get that the point is that you can't undo what has been done um, so I I understand from that perspective um, but at the same like I feel like it kind of glossed over yeah mm-hmm. just like mm. and then like throughout the rest of the story it seems like both the attempted rapist and then the attempted rapey had like equal say in things mm-hmm. in the in the high council of darrow uh which was I, I don't if if i was one of those parties i don't feel like i would ever be okay being in the same room as that person ever again 
Well, and even the fact, I don't know, what, what kind of bothered me was the fact that, like, once once he was brought to heal, it was okay. Like, once he was brought to heal, like, he, he was trusted again? And I was like, right. but no. <laughs> right. Because, and I guess this comes, again, from, like, the different mindset between... Yeah reds and golds um but from me on the outside looking at right darrow says everything that you do that's bad that's punishable you're gonna get punished but then i'm also gonna get punished the same because it all reflects poorly on me as as the dude that you have decided to follow um i was like because i'm jesus exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. uh but then when when uh, Virginia says it to him afterwards, she's like, well, they're just going to go do bad stuff and then you're just going to get beat to death is what's going to happen. Uh, and I was like, yes, yes, yeah. that's exactly yeah. what's going to happen. But then for some reason, everyone's work. like, okay. no, no, we won't. And I think I think part of the reason and we talked about this earlier, I think part of the reason why Virginia has such a different mindset than everyone else uh, in the school is because like for a lot of her life she was raised outside of gold society mm-hmm. like she was hidden away kind of, yeah like hidden away in a secret ranch or whatever um and so she didn't grow up with the same social interaction expectations that a lot of other people did so she can kind of afford to be a little bit of an idealist um and a little bit i don't know her her mind works different than other mm-hmm. people's cuz it hasn't hit all the same curves that everyone else has. Well, and I think that was what really frustrated me about like the last part in the assault on Olympus was the fact they captured her and she, like she makes the comment about being like the damsel in distress, but it's like, and that's what like it kind of like the acknowledgement that it is a problem kind of thing, like that it's, it's frustrating and it's like, yeah, but okay just by acknowledging it that doesn't mean that it was like a a good thing to do like she could have done so much more like you could have made her you could have made her so much more without making her the damsel in distress like just the way she thinks and the way they set her up like that i think was one of my more more frustrating things that they did turn her into that and that they even acknowledged that they turned her into that like, I'm going to be okay. honest, I was really disappointed that she didn't betray Daryl when she went to go get Pluto Standard, I because I was like, <laughs> yes, knock him down. And not that that would be good for, of course, all of her political uprising, but like, I got sucked into the world of the game and I was like, this is the move. This is what you do. And then she didn't. Honestly, like, I, was, okay. I, was little, I was a little bit hoping that she took her brother down and then attempted to take Dara down. Like I, I was wanting her to come out of the, out like the winner. <laughs> yeah. That would have been the move. Yeah. But I mean, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that they didn't think much about rape in gold society because their whole thing about sex is, Oh, sex is no big deal. And Dara's even, told when he was training you need to learn to not be surprised or shocked by nudity or sexual behavior and you need to get over your 
kind of red sensitivities about what is and is not appropriate. So, mm-hmm. um, and I guess they're trying to tell, I don't know, as readers, you shouldn't be shocked if we're, you know, completely, you know, compl- you know, irresponsible when it comes to how we, you know, treat our female characters. You know, Unfortunately. If if yeah. we're going to be referring to, um, you know, women and sexual behavior and, you know, custom-made prostitutes. And, I mean, even Darrow is, you know, manhandling, you know, a couple of the pinks immediately after his transition and then... Mm-hmm of you know pulling back a little bit but you know there's not really any proper treatment of very very minimal proper treatment of females in the series um so i guess we shouldn't really expect rape to be properly punished um unfortunately yeah uh it's it's wild. Uh, they they talk at the beginning of the uh, the game at the institute, and they say, you know, this this game is like a microcosm of our greater society. So the people who win are going to be golds, and the people who are slaves are going to be reds. And Cassius is like, there aren't going to be pinks, are there? Uh, and Daryl's like, I mean. <laughs> Sorry, you guys can't see, but I'm making like the, well, what do you think face? Um, right. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's gross. They have an entire mm-hmm. cast in the society that is just made for the physical pleasure of other people. Usually the golds or any cast that's higher than them. And they don't have the option to refuse or say no or have any kind of physical autonomy. Um, because that is what you are literally born for. Um, and it's very gross and disturbing. And that's... So that one kind of me, reminded me a little bit, like, uh, the breeders in um, the Broken Earth and, trilogy. Mm-hmm. I mean, is a little different because they're, they're their own... Uh, like, they still have autonomy and they're kind of... I think they only breed within, if I remember correctly, but... It's been a while. It's been a little mm-hmm. while. Like they have, they have a lot more autonomy than the pinks in Red Rising. But it definitely that kind of that class type kind of reminded me of that because um, mm-hmm. it was a job class rather than a like uh, a race. Yeah, yeah, kind of. It, um, well, there, there's like a so there's like a hierarchy class system mm-hmm. in Red Rising, and then there's a job class system, if that makes sense. So, like, it seems like reds are down the bottom, and then there, there's a whole bunch of colors in the middle, and then there's gold. But, mm-hmm. like, within the colors in the middle, there's a variety of different... Like, better jobs job, than others. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, job classes, rather than like a high red necessarily are they're not necessarily above or below in society but they're completely different job types mm-hmm. which is more in line kind of with how the class system works 
in the Broken Earth trilogy, as opposed mm-hmm. to um, kind of the class system in, say, Mistborn, where it's just tiered society, kind of, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting, that they, they kind of broke it up two, way, two ways, rather than just mm-hmm. the one straight hierarchy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else y'all would like to share about the book? Kind of wish she just put had punched Augustus in the face. <laughs> <laughs> he made the right move. He made the right move. For the long game, he made the right move. Yes, he did. But I... So one thing I found super interesting throughout the whole book is the naming system. Like, pulling from Roman myths and naming conventions. Just... Just the fact that Archie Governor is called Nero Augustus. I was like, right. really? Really? We're not being obvious about this at all. Well, it's so, dear listeners, the next book that we're reading for book club, uh, at least the one that we're reading right now, regardless of what order this gets published in, is uh, <laughs> Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which also has yeah. um, uh Roman Greek uh, naming convention, so it's been interesting <laughs> moving <laughs> from from this one into that one. As Jake told us in his blurb at the beginning of the podcast, um, there are five other books, or five books total in the series, with one more that is still on the way. Um, so if you did like this, and definitely continue reading. Um, but we have some other uh, recommendations for you. Um, the Mistborn series uh, that Katie mentioned, I would definitely say if you like the whole infiltrate society and overthrow it, mm-hmm. Mistborn is all about that. Um, it is more feudal um, and it focuses a lot on its magic system, whereas this one is is looking more at the... It's more fantasy versus Red Rising's more sci-fi-ish. Mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. yeah. feeling yep um if you like the magic school-esque of this kind of um i felt like and also kind of like fish out of water in magic school um the name of the wind the first uh king killer chronicles book i feel like um does a good job of kind of like finding your people and um persevering no matter what <clears throat> or who your obstacles are Ender's Game, if you like the strategy and the team building and the difference of thinking and paradigm shifting. Also, it's definitely more, I mean, it's a sci-fi book. Um, So more sci-fi, more technology and cool gadgets. But definitely, uh, I can't say enough good things about Ender's Game. It was one of my first uh, sci-fi reads when I was younger, and so I think it's one one that has like a special place for me. And it's based in the um, North Carolina triad um, where I live, so it's fun to see me (laughs) where I live. and of course, I love the the Hunger's Game series, which when my daughter first described it, I'm like, um, wait, maybe I, I should rethink my you can read any book uh, <laughs> concept. I'm sorry, what is this book? There? 
they have in your library. Uh, okay, uh, I guess maybe I should read this. Um, and and then okay, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll 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 still agree to the you can read anything <laughs> theory that I've mm-hmm. had since you were told. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, the, the description threw me off, and she first told me about it. Um, <laughs> I'd be really questioning my read band books theory. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you all so much for joining me this evening. Uh, Tell me again who you are and uh, if we can find you on the internet where we should look. I'm Katie Tejador and you can find me on Twitter at K-R-R Tejador. That's T-E-J-E-D-O-R. And I'm Bernadette Lender. Um, If you're on um, Discord, um, Overkill um, Wonder. And I'm still working on expanding my social media presence. So stay tuned. <laughs> it's totally fine because I, I am working on uh, decreasing my social <laughs> media usage. Um, I'm Madeline Turnipseed. Uh, I am Mad underscore Seed on Twitter, like the once a month that I'm there, usually just to share our podcast. <laughs> um, I'm also in the uh, Lovely Nerd uh, Facebook group and on the Discord as Lady Seed. Um, thank you all again so much for listening. Uh, stay tuned in the Love Thy Nerd community to see what we are reading next. If you have thoughts on the book we're discussing that we might read on air or books that you'd like to suggest for us to read, drop Madeline a line at madeline at lovethynerd.com. Be sure to check out all of the podcasts in the Love Thy Nerd podcast network and also the LTN radio. Pull this podcast, Humans of Gaming, Free Play, Church Nerds, Two Words, and I'm sure many more in the future. Thank you all so much for listening and uh, look forward to you joining us for our next podcast. Bye. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.